All right, Carrie Murray is back with the Bra Network. Carrie, I heard you have some news for us. Last time you came on and you talk, we talked about the Bra Network, this time you're expanding? What's going on? Huge, exciting news. We're growing, we're getting bigger. We have new members coming in from all over the country. So now we're getting back to having in-person events and they're coming to a city near you. We've got them in Houston, Austin, Boston, Portland, Ventura, Orange County, San Diego. We're coming for you. Oh my God, that's so exciting. So you can live anywhere. I love this. So Carrie, what do you think it is about Bra Network that makes it so special? Well, why don't I ask you? You've been a huge cheerleader for me, a huge champion for the women of this network. What do you like about Bra Network? Oh my gosh, Carrie. Well, if I mean, put me on the spot, why don't you? But I will say that I love the collaborative nature of everything Bra stands for. Whether we're hiring each other, whether we're going to events together, we're referring clients to each other. It's just a good feeling to collaborate and be in this space with some dynamic women. We can learn about money. We can learn about business. We can learn about LinkedIn, but we also can learn about spirituality or we can learn about self-care so you really have something for everyone i think it's really one of the best networking groups out there which is why you know i'm your biggest fan why thank you (laughs) so everybody needs to join the bra network join now because the prices are increasing and it's coming to a city near you so let's go warrior two where do they go carrie how do they join good question broad-network.com and use that code warrior two for 20 percent off women aren't born warriors we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. Watching the scenes unfold for the women of Iran has been devastating. The regime ruling Iran institutionalizes misogyny, and humiliates and terrorizes women of their country. Some of the worst laws are men that are being allowed to have multiple wives. Legal marriageable age for girls was lowered from 18 to just nine years old. Women are banned from leaving the house without approval from a male head of the household. Married girls can only continue studying with the permission of their husband. Men inherit twice as much as women. Divorce is presided over by a religious judge. And female murder victims have less justice under the law. The ruling theocracy has deprived Iranian women of their basic rights, and it has established at least 27 institutions and organizations to oppress women. In his recent speech, Khomeini acknowledged that the number of female university students is more than the number of male students, yet the number of educated but unemployed housewives is also more than 60%. During the recent uprising, many released prisoners shared harrowing accounts of rape and torture against the incarcerated female protesters. This has been the regime's modus operandi and barbaric method to break women. Well, they will not be broken. My guest today is an award-winning journalist who is well-versed on this subject. I wanted to have her on today to tell us what we can do. What can we do to support the incredibly brave, brilliant women of Iran? We stand in solidarity and look forward to the day that they are free. Let's get into it. 
There's a reason I joined the She Angels Foundation. She Angels gives grants to female-founded, nonprofit organizations that provide mentorship, funding, and resources to a diverse portfolio of women and girls' causes. Together, we can make an exponentially bigger impact, enabling greater diversity and creating a significant and collaborative philanthropic force. Become a part of our movement by joining the She Angels Foundation's Collective Giving Membership. Your membership is an annual, fully tax-deductible contribution. Just go to sheangelsfoundation.org. That's sheangelsfoundation.org. Give back to women. Okay, everybody, today on the show, Lisa Daftari. She is an award-winning investigative journalist, political analyst, and commentator frequently appearing on Fox News, CNN International, CBS, NBC, PBS, Al Jazeera, Voice of America, and Sirius XM, focusing on foreign policy topics such as the Middle East and North Africa, terrorism, national security, human rights, cybersecurity, and more. Lisa also serves as director and founding editor of The Foreign Desk, a news platform covering stories and analysis from around the globe with an emphasis on their impact on the U.S. foreign policy. She is the host of the acclaimed The Foreign Desk podcast and also publishes a popular daily top 10 email briefing with the day's most vital foreign affairs stories, reaching 250,000 monthly subscribers. Her exclusives appear on The Drudge Report, Fox News, The Telegraph, Newsweek, CNN, The Huffington Post, and The Washington Post, just to name a few. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much. I could not appreciate having you on here more, so thank you for doing this today. I'm really, really excited to highlight this issue to some women who may not really know what is really going on in Iran. So this is going to be amazing. I saw you speak at Visionary Women and I was blown away by you. And I told Angela Nazarian, I'm like, please, can you ask Lisa if she'll come on the podcast? Thank you. Um, It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Yes. So first, can you tell me a little bit about you just for a second before we get into all the other things? Tell me what led you to a career in journalism and specifically to foreign affairs. Great question, because I would never in a million years thought I would be doing this. I come from a family of physicians. And if I really wanted to be, you know, the black sheep, I would go to law school, right? So, you know, obviously very academically oriented. And and that's how I grew up, right? Taking all the AP courses and being an EMT, but also working in a law firm and, you know, trying to take all these different courses and see what really interests me. When I was younger, 9-11 happened. And I remember being glued to the coverage. And for some reason, 9-11 was a kind of a climax point for me in many ways. It brought together a lot of those dinner table conversations that we had you know, growing up and perhaps not knowing that I had a unique perspective as the daughter of Iranian immigrants to the United States, to the East Coast of the United States. So we grew up not around Iranian people. So that aspect was always unique, but really understanding that now the media was having a a challenging time contextualizing what was happening to our country, not being able to really describe what extremism was or terrorism was, not really being able to connect the dots for viewers. And for some reason, I mean, 
I, I was still in school, but I was watching this and I thought to myself, ah, you know, uh, what I would give to just be on one of these sets really explaining, in my humble opinion, what was happening to our country. And that was, you know, maybe tucked away somewhere in my mind. And I went forward and I took my pre-med courses and my pre-law courses. And then I remember having this conversation as I sat on the floor of my bedroom that had pink carpeting. And I, I remember <laughs> this house so well. It was the best bedroom that I grew up in. And sitting with my mother. And telling her there's some feeling in my gut that I don't want to go to law school. And, you know, I had already applied, gotten to some wonderful top universities. And this was a first, you know, for my mother, who, again, was also very academically oriented to say, why don't you try journalism? You know, it brings together all the things that you're wonderful at. When And she said, from the time you were three years old, you speak and people listen. And and I, I also love writing. And, you know, it just was, wait, aha, if my mother is saying this, then it becomes then a safe choice. It becomes an approved choice, you know? So of course, you know, growing up, it's like you want your parents' approval. You want to do what's right. You want to, you know, maximize your gifts and find something that really will make a difference. And I, you know, I went full force and I applied then to journalism school and I got a master's in journalism. Again, I took the academic route. So it wasn't that I just became, you know, this free spirit blogger that led me to this career. I did take the academic route in that capacity as well. And I, I that's when I moved out to Los Angeles. I went to Annenberg, the USC journalism school for my master's degree. And very shortly thereafter, I worked at NBC and I, and I was writing some op-eds. And when the 2009 Green Revolution happened in Iran, I started writing a lot of op-eds. And I spoke to a mentor of mine, Dennis Prager, actually, who's a, a very renowned radio personality here in, in Los Angeles. And I remember being on his show after doing one of these op-eds on Iran. And he said, you know, you really belong in the opinion space more so than the journalism space. And, and I thought about this already, but it was like getting his professional opinion was this kind of like this, this, this kind of validation that was very much, you know, it meant a lot to me. And then I started, you know, really going full force with that and writing a lot of op-eds and then getting a lot of screen time because of it, you know, radio, TV, all of it because of the opinion pieces I was writing on foreign policy. So I kind of wear both hats right now. Obviously, I, I am the editor-in-chief at the Foreign Desk. We have this news platform, but I also use it to propel a lot of the analysis and a lot of the TV, radio and podcast hits that I do. It's incredible. I love thinking of you as that girl on the pink carpet. And I love that your mom validated that because I think you would have done it anyway, if you really want to know the truth. I think you would have done it. I think you would have found your way here anyway, but it's so great. You got to go earlier because she, because <laughs> she said, right. Hey. Right. <laughs> I think that's cool. You should maybe do it. You grew up outside of New York, right? I did. I grew up in, in Bergen County, New Jersey. It's about five miles outside the city and then later lived in, in Manhattan for a few years. So yes, it's a very different kind of culture shock when you come to yeah. Los Angeles. But yeah, um, I'm from the know. East Coast too. And I grew up in Scarsdale. So when I saw that oh. outside of New York, I'm like, oh, I wonder if she's from Scarsdale. I wonder if I Scarsdale, her. yes. A lot of my friends live there and grew up there. It's, it's a very similar place to where I grew up in Paramus. Yeah. So I, I really have a, a line and I can think about what, where your brain was at that time. I love it. Yes. Well, let's talk about what's happening in Iran right now. The hijab has always been a symbol of a Iranian oppression of women. It, that's been going on a long time. 22-year-old Masa Amini was arrested in Tehran on Tuesday while traveling with her family from the western province of Kurdistan to visit relatives. Witnesses accused the police of beating her inside a van, and she was led to a detention center. She died at the hospital after three days in a coma. Why did this start such a slew 
of protests. What do you think it was? Right. It's a great question, because over the last 43 years that this government has been in power, there have been so many Massa Aminis, right? So why this one? Why this one? This was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. This was the moment that so many have been waiting for. It's been it, it's culminated to this moment in in the sense that the economy is in a place where people can't take it anymore. You know, they're watching all of their money be poured into regional terrorism. Why should the people of Iran suffer? Not be able to get the pharmaceutical supplies they need. Not be able to afford milk, eggs, and meat for their children. But yet their government is supporting Hezbollah and. Lebanon and the Houthis in Yemen and Hamas in Gaza and Palestinian Islamic Jihad. And, you know, and the list goes on and on. Why? You know, and the people, you know, it is, it has taken 43 years, but obviously this is something that is, you know, right there in the psyche of uh, the Iranian people generation after generation. So we are about, you know, one and a half generations post-revolution. So these are the stories that these young Iranians have grown up with. They knew that they their parents and their grandparents had it better under the monarchy, under the king of Iran, the Shah of Iran. And so they wonder, you know, social media plays a huge role in that because in that wondering of what if, what could my life be like? We, we, we want these basic freedoms. You know, they look on social media and they see their contemporaries living in all parts of the world, whether they're Iranian or not. Yeah. And being able to succeed and have these wonderful things. And, you know, the one thing that was, you know, came out to the forefront in 2009 and more so this time around is how modern and progressive most of the young people of Iran are. And the statistic that's thrown out a lot is that there was a big baby boom in the 80s when Khomeini came to power. And because of that, two thirds of the population are about 40 or under. So you have a huge powerful population that wants those freedoms. They're progressive, they're forward thinking, and they want those freedoms. So it makes sense that this is the timing. We've had a lot of of protests before, by the way, as you know, but this, the timing of all of this was perfect in bringing out the people. And of course, the women being the forefront of that. So Masa Amini being this perfect icon, horrific, horrific story. But again, she has become the face, the hashtag, the true inspiration behind all of this. Yes. I mean, I I feel like this is a tipping point moment. I feel like when I'm watching people cut off their hair and, and listen, that's the beauty of social media. The beauty of social media is like, oh my God, what's happening, right? They're seeing us, we're seeing them. Yes. Is it the kind of tipping point that's going to really move the needle? Because there's been protests before. I mean, when we talk about Iran and Persia, I feel like my whole life I've seen uh, protests, yes. you know, and I've always been like, oh, like people are really up in arms over there. Like, I, I don't see anybody laying down and taking anything over there. Right. So right. is I mean, so maybe speak to a little bit of the history of like there have been big protests. Right. But it's is it is it the tipping point? Because it is the young people. It is, you know, because we, we can see it because they can show it that they're more even more empowered to really actually make the change? Right. Liz, and you're asking all the, the perfect questions. This is the most important question saying, what's different this time around? Will this be their revolution? Right. That's what yeah, everybody's yeah. waiting to hear. And, you know, my answer is always, if they ever had a, a decent chance at it, this is it. And the reason for that is that this was the perfect inspiration. You have women at the forefront. You have a lot of brutality. You have a lot of crackdowns. When you watch you know, videos, I don't know if you were able to see one of them that went viral. We posted it at the foreign desk with this young man laying on the floor. They already beat him up, right? He's just laying there powerless, weaponless. 
He's just laying there and they continue to beat him. They run over him with a motorcycle and then at the end they shoot him. I mean, you can't, it's it's horrific. It's horrific. And you watch this, a young, young guy, handsome young guy on the ground. You know, when you watch that brutality and that violence, you know, you already beat him. He is powerless on the floor. Why continue to torture him? And that is the the, the true message of, of, you know, the Iranian people saying, look at our government. If they cared for us, they wouldn't go into our universities and kill our best and finest. If they cared for us, they wouldn't torture our women. They would respect our women. If they were truly our leadership, they wouldn't run over the guy after beating him up like that. Yeah. So there's no, there's no way this this awoken, you know, population will now go back. And for that reason, I say this is the best chance they've ever had. Another reason is because it is very much widespread. The media kind of diminished the 2009 revolution, which was also a very big movement to it being a more, you know, the cool kids of Tehran. It's a, it's an urban movement. You know, we can kind of equate that to if we had protests in this country in, in New York and LA only, you know, like, well, wait a minute. How about Kansas and Alabama? They're not on board. Well, right. we have the Kansas and Alabamas of Iran on board. It's in all provinces. You have it in clerical cities that are, are typically religious and conservative and with the government. You have them on the streets. So because of that, you know, and again, while it's a women's movement, the men are on the streets. You have people of all ages on the streets. You have retirees on the streets. And so for that movement, it has become a very united movement. You don't have any sort of connection to any political group or organization or any city or any religion or any sect. So for that reason, this movement is truly grassroots. It truly belongs to the entire population. And it is very, very forceful. And that unity is what will perhaps carry them to their revolution. Well, let's hope so. I'm I'm, I'm over here cheering it on. How can the government even keep control? This is what just blows my mind. What I'm seeing is how in the world can they prevent this? How can they keep control? Like what are the laws? What rights do women actually have over there? Because this literally seems like inevitable. Like they're just mm-hmm. fighting this losing battle. I know this battle has been going on a long time, but right. I feel like where the world is now, it's like, how much longer can they, you know, how can they really keep control? Like there it's, it's so widespread. It's right. so many people. Right. right. Well, they will continue with the brutality. They just announced that they would like to, I mean, this is not law yet, but they have vowed, threatened is a better word to give the death penalty to thousands, up to 14,000 detained peaceful protesters. So imagine just getting arrested at a peaceful protest and then being sentenced to death. Will they do it? Absolutely. It, it's it's not beyond them to do that. Mm. And these they want to make you know examples out of the people that are coming out and saying, don't do this because you will lose your child. I mean, it, it's, it's as simple as that. So they're not you know, they're not shy to make those kinds of very, very brutal threats and, and carry them out. Secondly, reports have confirmed that they're bringing in fighters. This is what they did in 1979. They bring in fighters from places like Pakistan or Afghanistan. And those are hungry, brutal fighters who will do anything just for a shish kebab meal, basically. And so when you bring in those fighters, you kind of, you do diminish the chance of defection by by the by the police and, and, and military themselves. But you also are bringing in people who have no connection to the Iranian people. So they will kill, they will beat up, they will do whatever it takes. So that's another thing they're doing. Thirdly, the Iranian people don't have guns. They're banned. So they are, they don't have weapons. And because of that, it's, you know, how, how long can they continue unless there is some sort of catalyst or some, some, some new, you know, way of, of trying to fight 
and 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 kind of take this to the next level. And with regards to the rights of, of, of people, you know, it's the women. It's the women that are considered half that in a man, according to Sharia law, which is a plot which is the law that is applied in Iran. So if you are a woman and you take a man to court, it will require two women to equal one testimony of a man. If you are a woman, you are not allowed to independently file for divorce, even under the most horrific conditions and 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 and, and abuse. If a man does divorce his wife, the man gets full custody of the children. So if you're a woman, you have no reason to get a divorce or to agree to one. So it, it, it's it's really, really horrific. Women, they're not allowed to travel with their with you know significant others unless they are married. You have to cover your hair. You have to cover your body. You know, the list goes on and on. Dancing is forbidden. You know, certain poetry and music is forbidden. Dogs are forbidden. You know, they can't, they can't have puppies. God, dogs, for God's sakes, Lisa. Really? Oh my God. I mean, my no. God. Yeah. It's well, okay. Well, that makes sense. I, I just, you know, I'm, I guess what I'm watching is I'm just feeling like I'm feeling it and I'm feeling like if I'm feeling it, they're feeling it. If I'm right. feeling like this is the tipping point, if you're feeling like it, I know they're feeling like it and they're, right. they're they want to keep going. That's right. the, you know, I know that it's important to note that Iran has not always been this way. You were talking about that earlier. You're a proud Iranian woman. You, you were born in the U S but you have a rich family history in Iran. Tell me about what was life like for your grandmother, your mother? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Cause you were talking about that, a vision of vision. And I was like, gosh, I feel like people don't even know that. Yeah. It's, it's tremendous. And I try to tell this whenever I have the opportunity, which is not often. So I love podcasts because we can talk in, in in a bit more with more context. I I am an Iranian woman. I was born and raised in, you know right outside New York City, as I told you. So my life is always informed by my parents and grandparents' stories, who loved Iran with every ounce of their being. I mean, my mother. We used to make fun of my mother and grandmother because they would sit around and and you know. Uh, and I'm not being even. I'm not exaggerating. They would like drink water and being like, no, 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 no. You should, you should have tasted the water in Iran. It was so much more delicious. So for them, and we told them for so long, how, when will you unpack your bags? Because mentally they were still in Iran and mentally, you know, into the eighties and nineties, they carried this love of Iran of when will we go back to our country? Or even if it, it wasn't going back, they had such fond memories of their country. So I grew up with this, this, these stories and this, the, 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 the idea that, you know, Iran was this utopia before this revolution. And I remember being a very young, young child. And and seeing on the news that Khomeini died, who was the architect and the first Ayatollah to come into power after the Shah left Iran, and looking at my mom and saying, "Does this mean we have we're going to move to Iran?" And you know, very naively believing that the reason why my family was in the United States was because of the Khomeini and and this revolution. So you know, it, these are the stories we grew up with. My grandmother, I mean, that's where I think I, I get my power from. She was, you know, we call her the lioness of the family. I mean, in her time, she was a teacher. She was brilliant. She was younger than most of her students at, at some certain points in her career. Um, she was a philanthropist. She would go around, you know, raising money for various causes. And she she was just tremendous. My mother also, double major, went to university. You know, I see pictures of her with her, you know, beautiful body and wearing, you know, mini skirts and boots and being extremely fashion forward. And, you know, looking at that, you know, and I, I understand if I'm thinking that living in the United States as freely as I do, wearing what I want, doing what I want, having the career that I want, speaking freely, 
I, I know what the women of Iran are experiencing. We are all fighting for our mothers and our grandmothers to get back what they had. To think that in the year 2022, these women have fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers had is mind boggling mind-boggling. So there's so much inspiration there. There is this generational, you know, vengeance of sorts. And I I know that sounds like a harsh word, but it's almost like we have to get back what they had for them, for our mothers, for our grandmothers, and for us. So there is, there is this kind of like, it was passed down to them and they maybe look at their parents and say, if you didn't have the guts, if you didn't have the courage to do it in over 43 years, we will. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that fuels the fire more, knowing that it wasn't always like this, that they were free, that they had all this opportunity. And now to see what it's become, I think that it fuels people even more like, well, it's possible. Right. Right. And if they had it then, why can't we have it now with all of the opportunities and technology? And, you know, let's join the rest of the world. Yes, exactly. Let's join the rest of the world. Well, tell me, I, fe- I feel like so many women are, are watching this and they're thinking, like, what can I do? You know, mm-hmm. and Lisa, what can we do? I mean, obviously, right. I'm not in Iran. You know, what what can we do to support these women, to support all of Iran to right. becoming more free? Right. It's a great question. And I know that it's very difficult because we feel like we're so far away and, you know, the powers that be, you know, and I think a lot of Iranians grew up with that kind of excuse or kind of maybe not even so much an excuse because there is some truth to it, but it was almost like they would wash their hands of any opportunity or any anything because they would feel like the powers that be will decide what will happen in the region and in, in terms of foreign policy, in terms of what happens in the Middle East, et cetera. But right now, the people of Iran are asking just for one thing. And all the the texts that I get, all the messages that I get across social media, they just say, please don't leave us alone. And it's truly powerful because right now you can't send money to Iran. Please do not click on any GoFundMes or anything like that for right now because of the sanctions. It's very difficult to send money. So any of these links are probably fraudulent or maybe even if they are meant, you know, with with great intention, they will have challenges sending the money over in the end. So for right now, until we do find a way, um, there is no way to, to, to donate money to them. There is a way, however, to perhaps push the UN and the United States to give the money that they wanted to return to the, the Iranian regime as a part of the new JCPOA, the new nuclear negotiations. They can give that money perhaps to find a way to get it to the people who are going on strike, who will need to be paid, who will need their salaries, et cetera, or to help, you know, get resources like internet and things like that to the Iranian people. But for us, the average person, what can we do? Share their stories. Even if you have 10, 20, 30 followers on, on your social media platforms, it's, it's one person that you can influence. It's your neighbor. It's your coworker. It's your friend. It's your daughter, your sister. You, you, we have to get their voices out. We have to tell their story. And their message is so simple. All they want is freedom. That's all they want. You know, we don't have to understand any of the nuances of their history. We don't have to understand any nuances of their future or what government will come into play. Oh, they don't have a leader. Oh, they don't know what they want. They know what they want, but it's not up to us to decide their future or their gov- who will govern them. We only want to help them in their fight for freedom. And that's the message. So if you see a video, if you see a story, if you see something that merely portrays the wants and, 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 and the fight for freedom, share that. And I think that that is the best way to help the, the Iranian people right now. Okay. That's good to know. Cause I have been doing that. And I thought, you know, is this helping? Am I, you know, am I being kind of yes. like gratuitous in some way? So it's good to know that. That's and you a- know what, Liz, I think 
Number one, it's just to stay informed. I think a lot of people have a hard time, not to, to plug my own because you can find others, but I do offer a daily top 10 email. It's so easy because it just has the headlines and it has the links. So if you just read the headlines, it'll take you a minute every morning to just get a gist of what's going on in the world. It's delivered at 4.45 LA time, you know, 7.45 New York time. And it just comes to your inbox. You can read it. You'll be set for the day. You can sign up for that on my website, foreigndesknews.com. Or if you want to let Liz know, I can sign you up as well if you get your emails to me. It's a great way to just stay on top of the news. I mean, it's very, very kind of intimidating to get involved on whether it's on social media or go to like CNN or Fox or wherever you get your news. There's a lot of fluff out there. There's a lot of other things out there, but, you know, find a way to streamline the way that you get informed and just stay aware. I think it's very important. And I know we just had our midterms here yesterday, but you know, write to your your elected officials. I mean, because we just had an election, people feel like, ah, they're, they feel safe. I think they're done now. They're like, I'm done. They're done now. I get it. But they're not. They're not. <laughs> if Their offices get flooded with our calls, with our emails, you know, put them under pressure to do something for the people of Iran. It'll, it'll, it'll be better for the rest of the world. I think there's a, there's a big connection there that's lost. If Iran is freed of this terrorist regime, there will be less terrorism in the world. They won't be putting money into death and destruction. It'll be a, a huge trickle effect for the rest of the world and the economy of the Middle East as well. I think that's amazing. And I will definitely sign up and I will put the link to sign up for everyone to sign up to, to your to your newsletter, because I think it is great. Sometimes, you know, with all the stuff we hear and all, you know, sometimes we don't want to watch the news. It's too much for us. So to have something that's a really succinct Gives you the headlines. I think that's a great, that's all. a really a good thing. All right, we're on to the speed round, Lisa. It's party sure. time. <laughs> what does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? Because Lord knows, Lisa, you are. I think it's this combination of of traditional and new that when I feel that 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 I'm a warrior, I'm doing the best that I can. It's the days when I'm able to, you know, be be a lot of things to a lot of people, including myself, that I'm able to cook dinner, or bake cupcakes with my toddler son, or, you know, put out breaking news and go to the studio, but then also spend time with my family. So I think women are under a lot of pressure to really define ourselves as these women who are out there doing things, which is absolutely true. But I think we didn't need, to, we mean, going back to cave times, I think women have always been the warriors and they have always been you know, entrusted with so much in terms of raising children or, you know, maintaining a household or, you know, just being our feminine selves. And I think that that's, for me, that's, that's what it means, really trying to do all the things that I love in one day and really being grateful that I can balance things. And I know it's, it's so hard to balance, but those are, those are my good days. <laughs> what is a mantra or quote you live by? I've always believed, and I say this to anybody, you know, in terms of a, if you're looking for a life coach or if you're looking for inspiration for your life, I truly believe that everyone has a gift and it's up to us to find that gift, to make ourselves fulfilled, but also share it with the world. I think one of the things, and I don't remember the exact quote, but it's almost like when we when we die, we stand before God and he will ask us, did you, did you use everything I gave you? And I hope that that for each one of us, we can say we, we used it, we shared it, we made the world better with it and that we can be, you know, not only grateful for those blessings, but really find them. And, and that's what will fulfill us ultimately because it's a gift. 
Yeah. And you, I can tell you are in your purpose, Lisa, because you are so like aligned to this. And when you speak like just the way, I don't know, it's something amazing about you. You You can tell when somebody has that, right. When they're using their gift, they're, they're, they're using it in all the ways. So it's really, it's cool. It's cool when you can see that in a person. And I see that for sure. What makes you feel unstoppable? (sighs) Besides besides sleeping. Yeah, no, I, (laughs) We've given up on sleep around here. What makes me unstoppable is that I know that people are counting on me and relying on me to do the work that I do, whether it's at home, whether it's with my son, or whether it's the people of Iran or the people of Israel or the people of Syria. Or the, it's it, it. Those are the messages that I get. And I know that I'm being a voice for those who don't have one. And for that reason, I just can't stop. This is not work to me. This is truly, as you said, it's my purpose and I'm, I'm blessed to do it every day. But I, I I know that people are counting on me and I hope that I can really fulfill that that mission to be there for them. I love that. I love that. What are you most proud of? Hmm. I told well, you obviously these, the I told you that these I've... are good. I told you these are good. <laughs> yeah, these are good. These are really good. Obviously the career that I've built, I look back and think, well, I have a media platform and I've I've been able to create a niche where there really wasn't one. You know, I remember, you know, sitting in that Middle Eastern studies class in college and, and, and having these debates and then coming home and telling my college roommate, and she reminds me of this all the time, that I said, I wish I could have a job where I would just sit around and debate these topics. And lo and behold, here we are. So very, very proud of that. But more than anything else, I think the challenge of of motherhood. I, I'm I'm very proud of the way that my son is growing up. I'm proud of the way he he is and speaks and his curiosity. And I'm, I'm extremely proud of that. Well, he's going to be learning a lot from you. <laughs> so I'm excited for him. Well, he asks the right questions. He's a curious little bug. <laughs> maybe he'll be just, maybe he'll follow in your footsteps. We'll maybe. see. What keeps you going when you're feeling lost, when you're feeling like the news is too much, when you're hearing things and you're like, because I, I have to imagine that someone in your position, you are hearing things we are not even privy to. And, and you're hearing it all the time. So how do you, how do you avoid, or how do you deal with that feeling where you're like, oh my gosh, it's just like so much. Right. It's such a good question. I think it's, it's really being able to a have a a very strong core. I I'm very sensitive and I'm not, I'm not shy about that because I know a lot of people. And I remember this agent very early in my career said to me when I was about to walk out of the room, he goes, you're, you're too kind and too sensitive. And the real, like, broadcast people of the world. And he gave me a few names. He's like, when they walk into a room, they like tear it up. They're not looking to be kind and nice and hi, how are you? know. So I'm, I actually, I own it because I think a lot of that, that sensitivity is what makes me a better journalist. It makes me a a, a better communicator, but I know that it, it's also, you know, obviously a, a detriment because I'm covering things that are extremely difficult and it's a detriment to myself because I carry that and I have to really absorb it in order to, to do, to do a good job with it. And because of that, I think it's, it's important to have a strong core, a belief in God, a belief in your family, you know, a, a, a support system to lean on, but also have hobbies. I think it's very important in this day and age, we are so busy. And when we have a minute, we pick up our phones and start scrolling social media or, you know, we just, it's it's really important to have hobbies. It's important to have a a group of friends and a support system to lean on. And it's important to know when to come up for air. I think that's the most important because a lot of us who are very much engrossed in our careers, there's really no line between or boundary between career and and other, other hours in the day, right? So, 
it's very important to draw that line and say, oh, for an hour, I'm going to do this. Or for an hour, I'm going to, you know, withdraw and do this. Or even mentally, even if it takes a few minutes. I don't meditate personally. I know people do, and maybe I should. <laughs> but I think there's there's other things you can do similar to meditation, even if it's driving and listening to your favorite song or going to yoga for 30 minutes or whatever it is that you do. But I think it's important to know when to stop, when to have those boundaries and to have these these hobbies and, and support systems to really take you away from from that seriousness or or that intensity for a little while. Yeah. I love that you said coming up for air because so many women are not breathing, which is why I I do love meditation. I avoided meditation as if it was stalking me and I wanted to get away mm-hmm. from it as much as I could. I'm also a person who doesn't like to sit still and I'm really, right. and I love all the right. things. So it was really hard to adopt that practice. But the weirdest thing is I've noticed the more I slow down, everything that I want happens. So it's almost That's like when you're lesson. going crazy, it doesn't happen because you're just going crazy and you're spinning your wheels right. and everything's insane. Right. So, but when you say, I have enough time, I'm going to take a breath. I'm going right. to lay here for a minute. I'm going to do some yoga. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to meditate, whatever it is. Or you just have those little moments with your son, right? Where you're just right. like, I am going to get on the floor with him and just drink him in. Right. Right. I'm just going to be with him. I'm not right. going to be the journalist right. right now. I'm going to be the mother and right. I'm going to really love that right. moment. Right? And enter his world yes. and, and, and fully be there. Right. Yes. It's I think better. when we slow down, it's it's amazing what a walk or a shower can do. You can be like, you, you see things from an aerial view and think, wow, you know, there's, here's an idea I didn't have before I took this walk or took this shower or, or, you know, sat down with my son. So yeah, it's very, very important to notice those things. And unfortunately for these phones, I, I talk about this all the time. You know, I, I said to, to my friend the other day, I, I kind of long for those days back in, you know, whenever we were growing up when you know, people would come home and after 5 p.m. You couldn't reach anyone. You know, it had to wait till morning. And now it's almost like, you know, you get the email to your phone. It doesn't matter what time it is. You want to respond and you want to respond because if it just sits there, then, you know, by morning, you'll have 10 more emails to respond to. So you kind of want to make more time. But meanwhile, it's cutting into your relaxation time or family time or you know, whatever it is. So these phones, blessing and a curse, obviously, but, you know, it's important to have those boundaries to kind of ward that, that, that creeping into your life. Absolutely. I always say the to-do list is never getting shorter. So you could, we might as right. well just pause and just leave it or there. As I had a teacher once tell me, you know, she puts having a cup of coffee or, you know, taking a break and taking a 10 minute walk on her to-do list. So she kind of feels good when she does those things and crosses them off. <laughs> this is very smart. Very smart. What is exciting you the most right now? Exciting is being able to really have a front row seat at what's going on in in Iran's movement right now. It truly, it it excites me because I've lived for this moment for so long, right? Imagine hearing about the revolution and hearing about, you know, my mother's stories, hearing about how she would go to university and what her life was like, you know, hearing songs from the seventies and being able to imagine what my mother's life was like with her friends. You know, my father left Iran earlier. He was a study abroad student to New York in the sixties, and then he never got back to New York, to Iran other than just visiting. And then that's when he met my mother. So, you know, my, my father's memories of Iran are from much earlier on in his life. But, you know, my mother, you know, was in her 20s when she left. So 
you know, hearing these stories, they, they truly, they empower me to make a change. And how interesting that the people of Iran or my contemporaries who I've never lived with or grown up with are now coming together to do this together. So I would be doing this anyway, because I'm a foreign affairs journalist, but I do have this extra kind of not just connection, but ability to help them, whether it's because of the language or because of the understanding of the culture and the times, and to truly own this revolution alongside the, those people and those women on the streets of Iran. So I feel blessed. I feel, you know, very much like I do have this privilege and I'm, I'm really grateful to be a part of it. I feel like it's a part of history that we will, you know, carry on. Yes. And I, you know what, I'm glad to be a, the smallest part of it. You're, 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 you're definitely on the front lines and they are on the front lines, you know, giving their lives for this. So I am really, I, I want all the women to really get together and really share, be informed, because honestly, this is the moment. Let's do it. Right. Yes, Let's have thank you, this Liz. Be the I mean, the, the biggest, really, the, the, the biggest message from the people of Iran is always that, that the media is not doing enough. And that's what it will take to change, you know, the White House. It, it Already we're seeing a, a slight pivot from the White House that they've walked away from the nuclear negotiations a bit. This is what it's going to take, that, you know, that raising of awareness. And I thank you for giving so much time to this issue, being interested in this issue. And I know that the people of Iran truly appreciate it as well. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for taking the time. I know you are a busy lady. You have a toddler and a huge career. So thank you so much, Warrior Woman, for joining thank me. You. And thank you, everyone, for joining me today. And if you want to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, please leave us also a review, a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye, everyone.